Hi there, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes Podcast. I'm Joe Webb, and in this episode, my co-host Brandon Wood and I sit down with James Kang. James is a fantastic innovator in um, how to create online-first spaces for worship communities and for people who are seeking to have new types of experiences of spirituality and community. And he has just a ton of interesting things to say in this episode. So without any further ado, please give a warm Accidental Tomatoes welcome to my friend, James Kang. But now that we're in this time where it becomes much more easy for things to be asynchronous, but the content and the environment could still be, if not the same, then at least similar, similar enough to meet this kind of threshold, then I feel like our definitions of community uh, begin to kind of expand. Well, welcome, friends, to another episode of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. Um, we're we're in a in a new season now, and um, at the time we're recording this, I, we don't really have our release dates um, set up exactly, but we're we are here in season three, and one of the things that um, that we're trying to do in this season is um, even as we continue to talk about. Um, the life of spiritual exiles and what it's like to go through deconstruction. Um, we also want to to give folks some sort of practical um, conversation about what the options are as if you're coming out of deconstruction or as you go through it. Like, how do you start to put the pieces back together? Um, because if you don't, in my opinion, you you spin off into nihilism. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but our guest today, our guest today is my friend James Kang. James is uh, out in. California and doing uh, some really interesting and innovative stuff. And James, welcome to Accidental Tomatoes. I'm so happy we could finally make this happen. Thanks so much. I've been waiting a long time for this moment. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this uh, the name itself is, I'm glad to put it on my resume anytime. You know, um, I, I have heard that it will launch new careers, you know, just to have the accidental tomatoes like, <laughs> I have heard on, that. on your, on your curriculum vitae there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, welcome. Um, really excited to get into some of the, the really interesting and innovative yeah. work that you're doing, but, um, let it just um, if you just give us a little introduction, give us a little bit of your story, uh, so yeah. we can kind of set some context for where we're going to go with, uh, with the rest of this interview. Yeah. Um, so first of all, thanks so much and thanks for making this space for myself and all different kinds of people. I've been kind of just looking at who's been on your podcast and I thought, you know, I don't know if I'm worthy of being on this thing, but I'm really, really glad to be here. Oh, please. Uh, a, lot of the, <laughs> a lot of things could be said about me. I think that um, the best way to kind of summarize myself where I'm at now is that um, back in around uh, March or April, I quit my full-time job with my um, with the church as an institution. Uh, no, not, no bad feelings at all, uh, but I just realized that this time in history is not going to come again. And I thought if I miss mm. this opportunity, I'll regret it for the rest of my life, and I don't like to do that. And so what I've done is I've just kind of gone, and I didn't really know at the mo at the time, but I went more than full time <laughs> into um, doing my own stuff here. Basically, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pull this thing called religion 
a little bit closer to real life.、Mm. And at the same time, I feel like I'm trying to pull、uh, real life into what is called religion. And、uh, if I could just kind of be in the middle, and if it could be more of a Venn diagram where we have and find and identify more places where we overlap, it'd be really, really cool. It's the culmination of a long, long time of thinking about things, but also as a son and grandson of Methodist clergy,、um, as well as a person that in college、uh, I decided, I realized that my faith was an inherited faith. I was born into it, I never chose it. And I said that if I can't start from zero and get to Christ, then I don't want to believe it anymore. And, and went through my own deconstruction and reconstruction. Eventually went through、um, seminary and realized that the、uh, path to ordained ministry is not for me. So here I am. And、um, I hope that、uh, I'm able to accomplish what it is that I think that I'm trying to do, only made possible with uh, the. Um, Partnership of my、uh, spouse here, along with our three children. Wow. wow, that's amazing. There's so much there I want to unpack, but I don't want to bog down the story <laughs> or the, the interview. <laughs> could, you just,、yeah. could you just briefly?、Um, you mentioned about there was a time that you didn't want to, you saw would never come again and you didn't want to miss it and have that regret. Are you referring to like the, the pandemic as far as the shut in? Yes. And how that could change your career in a way? That's right. You know, for a long time, I, about 10 years ago, was, I think, when I graduated seminary. And one of my final papers、uh, was one where I wrote that I said that the church would eventually have to go online. And、mm. at that time, that years ago, thesis、um, yeah, was, was met with some skepticism, understandably. But、uh, it didn't become an actual reality for most of the church until 2020. You know what I mean? And、yeah. I thought to myself, if this isn't the time when people kind of open their eyes, this is some kind of inflection point that I don't know what will be. And so、um, I realized that, you know, this kind of time when people are forced to, I mean, I think, think about it this way what else could force almost the entire church to kind of experience this at least for once? And it seems as though there's a good number of people that don't necessarily need to go back to what it was before. So、yeah. I, that's what I'm, yeah, that's what、oh. I was feeling. Yeah, that's,、um, you know, one of the concepts that I've, I've heard you talk about and,、um, you know, on your social media, you talk about it a lot is this idea of, of online first or digital first. I think, you know, so many, and I think, you know, I'm probably stating the obvious churches. That met in physical spaces suddenly found themselves having to create an online presence, right?、Um, but I, I think there's not a lot of people thinking about, well, what does it look like to start a community online,、yeah. mm-hmm. right? Rather than starting one in a physical space that accommodates you know, folks online, what does it、right. look like to start something from scratch online? And I think, I think you're, you're plowing a lot of new ground there with that. Thanks so much. Yeah. You know,、um, I stand on the shoulders of other people who have kind of gone before me on that one, too. I've just, I think, been really loud about it. I think that、um, it's, it's a lot like this. I think that ministry and this thing called church is an idea first. It always starts as an idea.、Mm. An idea doesn't have some kind of physical manifestation yet. But 
once it starts as an idea, kind of step two is how do we kind of quote unquote incarnate that? And our kind of line of tradition and, and, and history has said that we have to have a physical building, we have to have someone in a robe, we have to have a linear order of worship, we have to have membership, all these things. This is what incarnates, this is the incarnation of the church, right? Mm. And, um, you know, I don't, I think that if we just took a step back to kind of step one and said if church is an idea, not even necessarily church, but we think of church as the vehicle by which the body of Christ gets to have a presence in, in reality in the world, um, then what other ways by which can we do that? And especially now in the digital first era when the, the realm of ideas and ideas floating, floating around is not necessarily in, in books so much anymore, but almost this kind of communal, if you want to call it that space called cyberspace or the digital space where ideas are being exchanged all the time. Uh, maybe that's uh, also a place where we where we need to be. I think it's a lot similar to, you know, if we said uh, we didn't say like, you know, uh, what's what's a better theater, like a movie theater that we need to make, but just start from uh, and insp inspiration, you know, the inspiration as an idea, uh, or the or, or the time or the experience of being really, really moved by something, then up until now, we've had movies, not now, but up until recently, we had movies um, uh, in a movie theater. Uh, but what else could it be? And what else could this kind of inspirational time, a time of inspiration be? What other ways can that be manifest in physical reality and so on and so forth. It's just a matter of how. Yeah. And I feel like now is the time for that how to be a lot more broad than it was before. Mm. Man, that's deep. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, um, I just, you know, I when um, when the pandemic started and church start, churches started, you know, trying to, to hold their services online, I think what we saw was you know, people were, were they had their, um, the medium was the church building or the sanctuary, right? And they had, they had their content that was built for that medium. That's right. And then when they had to go online because of the pandemic, they just took that same content and repurposed it for a different medium. Yeah. That's right. Um, but I think, I think the, the really innovative thing that, that, it, that I see you doing and, and that I hear you talking about is going the next step, right? Not just repurposing content developed for a physical space to an online space, That's but right. how do we develop a whole new um, realm of content that is created for the digital space? That's right. Primarily, yeah. So what does that look like, like in practical terms? Yeah, so first of all, I think that, you know, I'm going to try my best to cite some of my sources and who have really helped my thinking along the way. But there's this Baptist pastor um, called, his name is Reggie McNeil, who wrote uh, a lot about missional, the missional church for a while. And I was just at a seminar he led last oh, week really? in West okay, Virginia. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a cool dude. He's yeah. super cool. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't know, I has trouble getting the word. He talks faster than makes sense. But in any case, you know, really, really great. And uh, one of the things that he talks about that he talked about when going from kind of the church as 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 this thing on Main Street, 
to becoming a missional church was changing the scorecard or the goals of the church. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of key. And what that means is that, you know, we don't have to be bound by a once a week kind of rhythm. Where does once a week come from in any, in, in, in any case? Uh, it could be an all the time kind of rhythm or an on demand kind of rhythm. It doesn't have to be through this thing called the sermon or even this thing called the worship service. And when should a worship service begin and when should a worship service end? We've had a long time other kinds of ministries that are not Sunday centric or that does not uh, require worship service like youth group and young adult ministry, children's ministries. Um, these, if they were all by themselves and someone were to say, yes, that's the church, that would be question. You know, is that really a church? But it really is a ministry. And what I'm trying to say is that we're now in a time where we can kind of take this kind of uh, thinking that ministry itself can have many variations and just do as many of it as we can. That means um, the kinds of videos, I mean, I'm sorry, the kinds of medium uh, media that we have might be very, very short clips and it might not be anyone talking at all. Um, it could be music, uh, but it could be music that doesn't necessarily have um, some kind of theological, at least explicitly message to it and so on and so forth. I mean, it could, it could just be anything and everything, but but it does have to have some kind of, as, as, as we, uh, see it as a requisite for scripture being scripture must be inspired. It must be inspired content in some in some way and be able to be that way for integrity. So, I mean, there's not too much specificity in my response there, but I think that in general, um, it just it just it just releases kind of the the limitations that we have or the conventions that we've had of what quote unquote religiosity and spirituality has to be in and through. Mm -hmm. Man. Now there's a lot of people that are, are still pushing to get back to church. Um, even, you know, we, Joe and I were in a, a group and we were kind of chatting about the people that want to go against mandates and, and best practices because they want to be back in that church. What would you say to the, the people that and you kind of see it in society too, right? Like where all the jobs went to, at home and then now they're slowly kind of bringing it back and i feel like there's this weird trying to go back to the old way of life and no one's really embracing this new way of life so what would you say to that in regards to the, this church or digital first uh online first a mentality where it's not just an answer to a pandemic but you're saying no this is the new way forward right so um very much appreciate that question and i think that um, first of all, I want to say that I definitely do understand how certain people define things, including life and all the parts of life and um, different ple people are in different places. There's this quote uh, by I think uh, his last name is Gibson, um, and it goes something like um, he's uh, he's 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 a writer that kind of came up with the genre now known as cyberpunk. Uh, saying that the future is is already here it's just coming about at different speeds in different places and I think what that means is that we we have to be okay with the fact that the world is many many dimensions at different speeds and different people are at different places and that's what I mean by diversity I think we have to somewhat 
be okay with that kind of a thing. I think that at a certain point, though, we can clearly see that certain things are kind of dominant and other things are somewhat marginalized. I think that this whole in-person church thing has been dominant for a while. And quite frankly, it will continue to be probably, you know, uh, uh, hold on to its dominance for a while because that's how the money is made. And as long as money can continue still uh, can continue to be made through the in-person way, people are going to keep uh, doing the whole in-person thing, including including in, uh, the church as an institution. Um, I think the one that I've grown up in, which is the United Methodist Church. And so, um, as long as it quote unquote works, it will continue to be that way. But I think there comes times when if people can just kind of coordinate and work together some people even say organize that this kind of digital first way of things will eventually take hold mm. and the economics of it will also kind of not only be compelling but it will be transformative yeah man i think there's so much to what you just said there um i, I think we're, we're so early in in this revolution, right? Um, and, I, and I think it's nothing short of a revolution in, mm -hmm. in the way we communicate, in the way we do church, um, all of that. But I, so I think because of that, it's, it's still really hard for a lot of people. Like I think conceptually, a lot of people are on board, right, with mm -hmm. that idea. Um, but the, it's just hard to imagine what it looks like, how it, how it actually happens, because there's not a lot, you know, people need an example you know, a lot of times mm -hmm. they need, uh, they need a blueprint to follow or, or at the very least, you know, a, a hand sketched plan of some kind, mm -hmm. like to get them through. And, th and that's all still being invented right now. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, th I think we might be amazed in even five years to see where this has come because I, because it's developing so rapidly and, and the more people, um, experiment with it and experience it, that just drives that innovation forward, just the same way it drives innovation in any other field. Um, so I, I think it's in, in my, you know, when I try to take that like balcony view of what things are happening, I think this is going to, I think you're right. I think the the physical church, the traditional church is going to continue to be the dominant form of church for a while. But I think all of the new growth Almost all of the new growth, maybe just to be, <laughs> just to qualify it a little bit, is going to happen in in the digital world. I agree. Um, yeah, I agree. yeah. It's, I, it's I so if, interesting. If I could just add one thing, I think that one of the things that we can look to in the past as like markers for what might be predictive is that you know a lot of the reason why we can still meet in person in our church sanctuaries, particularly in the area geographically where I'm at, is because we've had churches with buildings and sanctuaries with capacities that are way larger than the membership yeah like we we would have like sanctuaries of two three four hundred people but the membership would be like 60 70 80 people so of course they could spread out in it but that's the way that they've been for a long time and did anything happen while that was happening not really so i yeah. think that even as we continue to have huge mungo buildings with not all that many people i think that'll continue for a long time because the church as an institution is based on old money what i call old money or what's called yeah. old money and old money will is 
made to last for a long time. And that's what they will rely on. What they have to, what the church has to understand, what we have to understand is that while we have the money, Mm -hmm. we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to spend it so that it makes a difference? Not trying to prop this thing up. That's not an engine of growth, like you've said at all. So these are things to think about. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's so, it's so relevant. I, I had a conversation with a colleague earlier this week um, who was telling me, and he, he pastors uh, what is for our area a reasonably decent sized, you know, United Methodist Church, um, a few hundred people. And, and again, with a sanctuary designed for even more than what, what they have now. But he said there, it costs them a hundred grand a year just to keep their building open. And I'm like that, you know, and, and we're all sort of kind of having this disconnect with like, how many people could you feed? Right. And he, like, he's the same way. Like he, he gets that, right. He's not, but he's, he's in this, you know, tension of like, my job is to shepherd this church Mm -hmm. um, and, and to trans help transform these people's lives but they're still married to this building that's an albatross around our neck, you know? That's right. And and that's that's just one example of a very common story sure. across denominational lines, right? That's that's not just a Methodist thing or a Baptist yes. thing, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the one thing with the institutional church or a building is the idea of community. How do you see community being created uh, in the platforms you're creating in, in this digital first focus yeah great question comes up, <laughs> comes up quite frequently yeah. um, here's here's what I would say I think that I mean let's let's just think about it this way for a second like you know way back when we used to watch movies in movie theaters I mean you know I'm just I'm not even you know I'm not trying to be mean about it but wait what's a movie theater what? <laughs> well, well, you know, you millennials. Like, <laughs> like no, I, a couple of things come to mind. The first thing is, if I'm in a movie theater and I'm watching a movie with, I don't know, let's say a hundred people or something in this theater, and we're watching the same thing, we're really moved by this particular movie. Was that community? Were we in community? Okay, so that's my first question. Uh, the second question is. Let's say I watched that movie at 11 a.m., but there was another person that watched that movie at 3 p.m., and we were moved by the same movie in the same theater, just in the same way, but at different Mm. times. Are we in community? Are we in community or no? And then, so I would just like replace movie theater with like, Discord or Instagram or whatever, right? Uh, some video online on YouTube or, or whatever that was as moving and makes us uh, con- confronts, uh, make us confront the reality of our mortality and ask ourselves if we're, if we're, if we're actually living meaningful lives. Uh, I watched it at 11. Someone else watched it at three. I watched it here in LA but someone watched it in Hong Kong or something like that. Are we in community? And I think that the dimension of time and space, the dimensions of time and space are things that have 
made the grooves of reality such that it becomes much more simple for us to be in community with each other if we are in the same place and continue to do that over and over again. But now that we're in this time where it becomes much more easy for things to be asynchronous, but the content and the environment could still be, if not the same, then at least similar, similar enough to meet this kind of threshold, then I feel like our definitions of community uh, begin to kind of expand. And if the definition of community can expand, uh, then I think that what we are able to pull together as a quote unquote, you know, people of God or whatever, people of faith begins to expand. I mean, what, why is it that we have these things called congregations, right? Uh, why don't we just say that we are the entire United Methodist Church or the Episcopal Church in the whole country and we are one church, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but why are we divided into congregations? These are not necessarily things that have to do with what Jesus said. These are not necessarily things that have to do with kind of matters of meaning or something like that. These are things that came about over human history. And I, I think that that is how we have defined community up until now. But I feel like that definition is being expanded. At least I would like it to be. Mm. Man, I dig everything about that. I really <laughs> do. I'm telling you what. It, because, you know, it's it's paradigm shifting. And that's, that's going to be a challenge for a lot of folks because... You know, it, it has been the way it's been for most of, you know, our lived experience. You know, I'm, I'm 58 years old. The, the church has been fairly stagnant for my entire life, you know. Mm. Um, and, and so, like, and it's hard, like, to think about, you know, what, what do you mean community is asynchronous, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it is such a paradigm shift, but. Um, but I think we can get there. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think you just have to see yourself as being part of an evolution rather than just some sort of a, a stationary point in, right. in time and space, right? right? Which, you know, lately, Brandon and I have been talking a lot about things like um, spiral dynamics and um, quantum entanglement and stuff like that. Um, and like that that's all part of this right mm -hmm. there's the way people experience reality mm -hmm. um is is changing and always has changed right it's just that we've been kind of stuck in this particular um place and time for a while and we don't we don't see um how those trends uh continue to evolve right mm -hmm. Definitely. so that yeah that so that brings me sort of I've been I've been sitting here in my brain going back and forth between two two questions I want to ask you about what you said. But, um, I do want to I do want to kind of to to just zoom in a little bit on what you've been talking about with community and experience. Um, you and I were in a conversation with some other colleagues a couple of months ago, yeah, and we we were talking about this idea of community and creating community online and what that looks like and mm -hmm. people desiring to be part of a community. And you said something that really resonated with me. You said, um, and I don't remember your exact words. I wasn't smart enough to write it down <laughs> at the time, <laughs> but, but you said, um, something to the effect of what it's not that people don't desire community, but what people really desire is some sort of an authentic experience of the divine, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, we can 
we know how that happens in a, a traditional worship setting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we also know that that can, you know, Brandon and I, Brandon especially can talk about how that often kind of falls into like emotional manipulation mm-hmm. and is not really maybe even an authentic experience. But unpack that if you would a little bit. Like what do you, what does it mean to say that people, what they really desire is an experience of the divine and maybe that somehow leads to or as a part of what it means to be part of a community. Yeah. Okay. I just said a lot, right? No, no, no. Uh, and go. I think that maybe for this one, I'll kind of slow things down a little bit and, and think through my talking. Um, Reggie McNeil, going back to him, said something that you know say, stayed with me for a long time. He said, did Jesus say, I come to bring you church and church abundantly? And what the answer to that question is, 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 is no, he didn't say that. He said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And I think what the point that he was trying to get to was that we are in love with this thing called the church, so much so that we at times replace kind of life with church Mm. and uh i find a lot of times that we also do the same with community Mm. and we a lot of times i feel like equate religiosity with beloved community i understand it i'm with it it's not that i don't want it it's that community in and of itself is the means not the end Mm. to me to me it's not the means if it were jesus would have gone around and said come here i want you to join my community i don't find that in the scriptures what i find is a bunch of people sometime in crowds other times as individuals on an individual basis that jesus went around meeting and then somehow their whole life was changed or their minds were blown and what they were feeling inside were was totally uh, 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 gone and it was replaced with totally other kinds of feelings and what I just that it's it's a matter of language but the language the words that best describe that for me is an experience of ecstasy as an experience mm-hmm. of ecstasy without all of the connotations that we have in our contemporary american culture today about it if we just take that all out and we just say ecstasy that is what i believe is what makes religiosity religiosity uh, a lot of times because we have the need to for our faith to make sense we kind of try and either put that in a box or eliminate that from the equation. Mm. But what happens when we do that is we kind of eliminate the power of faith and the power of God. And unfortunately, whether we like it or not, that power often does not make sense. It does not make sense. It's one of the reasons why I find it ironic. I'm with contemplative Christianity. I'm with it. I learned it. I do it sometimes. It really, really helps. The thing is that if you go back to the Eastern contemplative traditions, uh, and by the way, Christianity, before it became Westernized, 
came from an Eastern person uh, uh, named Jesus of Nazareth, uh, is that the way that in those religions and traditions contemplation happens is that the master or the teacher gives students a riddle, a riddle, a riddle that mm. does not make sense. Like, for example, to uh, what makes it stay uh, is by letting it go. Letting it go is what makes it stay. These kinds of things. And you're supposed to contemplate that. You're supposed to contemplate that over and over until it kind of becomes you inside. That's what contemplation is in the Eastern traditions. It's not necessarily it coming to make sense. It's that it's, it, it becomes embodied in yourself. And I think that uh, it's this sense that we have both the transcendence as well as the imminence. You get what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Yeah, the yeah. imminence often is what we might be able to experience here, but it's the transcendence or the unexplainable that will serve as the basis of religiosity. And what I'd like to ask for all, you know, so many of our churches today is which part do we, uh, do we say is the unexplainable? And can we base our lives in the unexplainable or can we not? And I think without that, uh, what we become is just another kind of media company, mm. which are very religious, by the way. We just become another, <laughs> you know, whatever uh, that kind of co-ops religion for profit. For us, though, we have to become more uh, professional and also kind of uh, competent. Uh, I know this, these are kind of contradictory terms, but competent in the realm of uh, unexplainable transcendence and ecstasy, ecstasy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's that, um, it, those of us who come from Methodist world are familiar with the thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which yes. John Wesley didn't develop. It was kind of right. imposed on his work later, but, <laughs> but you know, it, it includes, you know, scripture, reason, right? And, and tradition and then experience like that for for John Wesley and for the people that followed his his kind of way of thinking like some kind of experiential knowledge was a really big part of that you know and so it's not just you know the academic experience like you know of of church world but there's something that has happened to you as a person mm -hmm. that that makes you um, want to follow this rabbi Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I love what you said about the riddle. I'm still trying to get my head around the the notion that Jesus might not have been a white European, but we, we can come back to that some other time. Don't get me started. <laughs> Your liberal agenda. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, obviously we've all studied, you know, uh, church history and stuff, but it is just this, this disconnect between what Jesus did into what the first century Christians did. And it's like, mm. but people always point back to what the first century Christians did is like, this is the mm. blueprint. And, um, I don't know. I didn't see many fog machines and electric guitars. <laughs> and <laughs> Like, honestly though, when, when hearing you talk, James, like my, my first thought, because I come from the Pentecostal evangelical world, um, yes. put my toes in Methodism and then now I don't know what I consider myself, but, sure. <laughs> but, you know, the, the fog machine, the, the rock band worship, you know, yeah, 
that I don't see that dying anytime soon with that style of, of, of church. And, and, and that would be their, and I've heard it, but that'd be their biggest complaint when it, you talk about digital. Well, how am I going to get, mm-hmm. you know, corporate worship or experience God with my other believers? And I, th- obviously I think there's other ways, but um, yeah. I like your mentality of, you know, cause there's some people that says, let's, put all our eggs in this digital basket and move forward. And you're saying, Hey, the church isn't going anywhere anytime soon, but future, future, let's keep what the, you know, people are still going to go to, but at the same time, let's invest our money, invest our time into new ways. I, I, I like that. I like that approach. Brandon, yeah. I wonder, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Jay. I'm sorry. No, no I just, problem. Brandon said something that, um, you know, when you're talking about people need that, like they want the fog machines, they want the rock, like how they don't understand how they can worship without that. And I wonder if in some way that's not sort of an addiction to emotional manipulation that that replaces an authentic experience um, of the divine. I don't know. I mean, I, I just kind of wanted to throw that out there just because I think it's an interesting thought. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's a rabbit trail we want to chase. here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Brenda. I mean, I, I've been kind of wanting to mention a little bit of my own background, I guess, where where I land. You know, I, I grew up in the United Methodist Church, and I like to tell people that, that in the United Methodist Church is where I've learned about God. But where I met Jesus was in the Pentecostal Charismatic Church. Mm. And um, I'm very, very used to kind of it's the last night of retreat and someone's going to try and make me fall um, after, you know, sermon. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my dad was uh, was Methodist clergy, but he was also kind of a, a speaker at revivals. And what he used to do is say, is anyone is anyone sick here? And people used to come up and and he used to pray for them. And then suddenly their leg would be OK that night and things like that. And what 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 I'm, what actually has helped me is that kind of background being able to try and understand people who sit in sanctuaries and and they think that the organ is so awesome it's so (laughs) awesome and it's not just the hymns you know these hymns but the organ is so awesome when someone plays that thing and that air is going through those pipes (laughs) they feel like i don't know like jesus is about to pop out of those pipes or something like that and i and i feel like you know, you don't know it yet, but that kind of feeling is the feeling that I got when we were singing like, you know, contemporary Christian songs and mm-hmm. things like that. And I feel like I've, I've, I'm in that kind of overlap part of the Venn diagram. Uh, and, and I've been trying to kind of bring that all together. Honestly, that kind of uh, uh, church has been forward thinking in digital. They were, I feel like they were the first to adopt yeah. like apps yeah. and they were the first to adopt like screens uh, in the, you know, you do that in the United Methodist Church. A lot of times they, they just run you out of the sanctuary yeah. and things like that. <laughs> uh, but the, you know, and so, and so, so, but I think that the challenge for them is just look, um, kind of in the 60s, 70s, the appropriation of kind of hippiness uh, that, was the guitar, the electric guitar, and all, and the band, the what we call the band today, that turned into Calvary Chapel and Vineyard uh, churches yeah. and things like that, and eventually became like Hillsong and things like that. Well, that also will evolve 
that yeah. also will evolve. And that the the challenge that they need to understand is that someone else is going to take what they've turned into a tradition and turn it to another tradition. Mm. And are you going to be able to ad uh, adopt that or not? The spirit is moving. The spirit is moving. Um, and if the and if you're all with the spirit, then you better be moving too. So like I feel like. I feel like what what that kind of church though, and the kind of church that you know we've all—I mean, we've grown up in some of us. The United Methodist Church is like this whole gathering thing is the biggest deal, yeah. and I kind of feel like that's kind of you know going to be a place where we have some contention. Like, what, what, what? Why is gathering the biggest deal here? This kind of a thing. Mm, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, and I and I yeah. think I think exactly what you said uh, yeah. is is. I hate to use this language, but the new fruit won't have, mm. they won't have that. You know what wow. I mean? And, and I, and I think the people that, um, you know, have grown up with it eventually, eventually that, that mentality will die out because mm. like I grew up, you know, I was at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And then any other time the church doors were open, we were there. Um, you know, I, I don't, I know when I was youth pastor, it quickly shifted to, I only got one night a week, you know, like that was the mm -hmm. mentality in our area. You get Sunday mornings and maybe, maybe a youth <laughs> service, you know, uh, yes. the Sunday night kind of died off. Obviously there's still churches that are doing multiple evenings, but it feels like the culture quickly shifted away from <laughs> three nights a week to one, one day. Um, and I just, I, I I think eventually that that's going to shift away as well, where it necessarily won't be that mentality like you're saying a week rotation or a week rhythm. Right. Yeah, yeah I agree. Well, let's uh, let's take that opportunity, James, to to turn to some of the work you're doing with um, Pastoria yeah. and and the many <laughs> the many offshoots uh, <laughs> of that. So, tell us a little bit about what Pastoria is and some of the things that you're working on there. Yeah, Pastoria, you know, it's just a brand name that I put out there as a vehicle to kind of get the message out. But pretty much I call it a ministry innovation consultancy. You could put blah, blah, blah at the end of that, too. It doesn't matter. But here's the thing. Um, if we look at where the church is going on the inside, I think that the future is a pastor who is an ordained clergy person sent to a church of, I don't know, anywhere from uh, 40 people to 400 people, likely by themselves alone. Uh, and at, at least in terms of or, uh, ordained people. And I think that because of that and the context which we're in, we will ultimately for the solo pastor um, have the convergence of three things. That is the digital age, digital diversity with what happened in 2020 and kind of this um, spreading of, of the idea of Black Lives Matter um, and intersectionality as well as dreams. Uh, we have entered into something called the passion economy or the creator economy. And as that's the case, uh, I feel like these three things will converge and serve as the basis by which theological thinking um, as well as acting will happen for the foreseeable future, at least for the decade. And that's where Pastoria wants to be, talking about how, as well as if it's a, if it's a solo pastor, solo pastor can't do all these things by the solo pastor self, uh, then the solo pastor actually needs like an Iron Man suit. 
kind of a thing. Uh, one person who's able to kind of uh, do multiple things through a platform. And Pastori wants to be that platform for the solo pastor. One of the That's ways great. by which we're starting is something called Flock, F-L-A-W-K. We're going to match kind of these early stage leaders who are in digital first um, spaces, much like yourselves, really, uh, and um, kind of be able to say, look, uh, we are of the mind to not really work as a team too much with other people. <laughs> but um, at the same time, we often feel alone. So what can we do about that? Well, we can be in this kind of thing, could be called a group or whatever, but this thing called the flock of other people like us. We know that we are in some sense competitive or competing. We don't have to eliminate that sense of being competitive. Let's see if we can perform and challenge each other, but as well as support each other. We're gonna to commit to teaching other, each other things that we might not know, as well as offering a service to each other that we might not be able to have and help each other just kind of accelerate the kind of results that we want to see in the very practice um, of it. So that's kind of um, step number, the biggest step number one right now. I have another thing called regular church regular.church is the website basically i have an online form there and i say look i want you to tell me how you're feeling tell me how you're doing you complete this very simple online form i think it's three questions you tell me how you're doing and if i could do it i'll make a quick sermon out of it and get it out by the end of the week uh, based on what you have turned in and so on and so forth um, i have something called the dreamery at the dreamery.co we have uh, this notion that we are in the ministry of all Christians. I believe that every life is a ministry in and of itself. And because of that, every person is the minister of their life, ordained or not. Uh, but for those of us who wish to be a little bit more solopreneur or entrepreneurial about that, we do need to do things together. We also need to learn some things. So that's uh, the dreamery is where I want to uh, pull together those kinds of people. Those are just some of the things that I have in mind. I have about 10. I would like to do 10 before I run out of the money that I've saved and see uh, <laughs> what kind of difference uh, that I can make. That's awesome. That's, I, I, I can't remember if I said it in the in the intro or, or before we um, started the recording, but like every time I look at your Facebook page, you're launching a new website. <laughs> it's, but I'm man, it's, it's amazing. And it's such good. I, I love the idea of flock and sort of the, the cohort, um, you know, the, the cooperative competitive cohort kind of mm -hmm. model is sort of the way I've, when I was reading about it, that I kind yes. of interpreted that. And that's uh, right. It's, it's all of that stuff is just so helpful. Um, it's, it's just really exciting to, to kind of watch, um, and, and, you know, even participate a little bit in, in what you're doing, um, because I think it's got such massive implications, um, for, for where we're, where we're moving. So, thanks, Joe. Yeah. well, I think we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the time. Um, I don't know if, if there's anything that, that we didn't get to that, that you wanted to make sure that our listeners knew about. Um, but I'll, I'll give you a chance here to to plug anything you want to plug and <laughs> yeah no first i want to say thanks so much to yourself joe and brandon and all and i really want to say all the other guests that have been on this and will be on this podcast and i really do hope for the great success of this thing in whatever ways that you might define success 
we need this kind of thing and every other of these kinds of things to make it. Whether ultimately it becomes consolidated or recombined in a certain way, that, that we'll get to that when it gets to that point. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are so many different kinds of people out there. The diversity is huge, where that diversity is the call to people like us to make all different kinds of things and put these kinds of messages out there um, that will just ring true to the people who've been waiting to hear that kind of thing. And so I just want to say thanks so much. And I hope that if that's you know any of y'all's listeners um, and you have some kind of idea to get things going or to even help Accidental Tomatoes, I'm pretty sure that uh, Joe and Brandon would be able to um, would like to hear from you and be able to make use of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think I've ever had a guest come on and plug our <laughs> podcast. Before, so. <laughs> I mean, we, we this do is it. A re, what revi- <laughs> this is what revival uh, preachers yeah. do. At least that's my tradition. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. So how, if, if folks want to connect with you, um, if they want to find out more about um, the work you're doing, how, how can they find you and, and make contact with you? Yeah, I mean, the central place is Pastoria.co, the website, um, Instagram Pastoria.co, Facebook Pastoria.co. And if you, uh, you could just uh, sign up for the email list, and I write every Monday morning about stuff. But if you're a churchy kind of person or ex church kind of person, there's other stuff there. Just find me. You'll be able to find me and uh, reach out to me if you heard me through this um, podcast. I will take it as God's will that we were able to connect. Yeah. <laughs> And we will include links in the show notes to make thanks it easy. so much. <laughs> yeah, definitely, very good, James. Thanks so much, man. I, I yeah. can't begin to tell you how much I appreciate um, your friendship and uh, you coming on and, and talking to our um, our listeners about these these really interesting, innovative, um, forward looking um, possible expressions of what um, faith communities can look like. So, really, really digging the work. I'm really looking forward to continuing. Um, the conversations we've been having in, in all of the other contexts. Um, and so just appreciate you. Keep it up. And uh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, Joe. Thanks, Brandon. It was good meeting you. Well, thanks again to James and to Brandon for that really fascinating uh, episode. I, I think that James is on to so many really interesting and innovative things for what the future of um, of faith communities, not just the institutional church, but but faith communities of all kinds, can can live into um, as as the digital world continues to grow and expand. Um, as always, we appreciate your support of Accidental Tomatoes and the content that we're creating for our community. You can always find us online at accidentaltomatoes.com, where every week we put out new content in the form of these podcasts and blog posts from a team of really great writers um, to help you Form your own kind of spirituality outside the walls and fences of institutional Christianity. So until next time, keep on growing outside the fences and join us for another new episode of the Accidental Tomatoes Podcast.